Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. Thank you so much for joining us today on the broadcast. And this entire week, we've been talking about pride, and uh, we've been talking about the poison of pride and why we should be humble people. So I want to continue on this theme, looking at a different passage, and I want to look at Isaiah chapter 14, and then I want to look at the book of Galatians chapter 6. But let's begin with Isaiah chapter 14. We're going to dive right into the message today. Isaiah says these words. This is the New American Standard Bible. How are you fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn? You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise up my throne above the stars of God, and I will on the mount of the assembly and the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will make myself like the most high. Wow. I counted up that little phrase, I will, five times in those verses. I will ascend, I will arise, I will sit, I will ascend, and I will make myself like the Most High. Listen, when I is in the middle of your life, you are in a world of trouble. Now this is Isaiah recording what happened to that son of the morning star, Lucifer, when he fell. Now Ezekiel also kind of carried on this theme in Ezekiel chapter 28, and he remained perfect in all of his ways until, talk about Lucifer, he remained perfect in all of his ways until there was an iniquity that was found in him. What was that iniquity? Ezekiel 28 verse 17 says, Your heart became proudful on the account of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. Lucifer apparently became so impressed with his own beauty, his own intelligence, his own power, and his own position that he began to desire for himself the honor and the glory that belonged to God and God alone. The sin that corrupted Lucifer was a self-generated pride. This represents the actual beginning of sin within the universe, preceding the fall of humans, Adam and Eve. And as we think about sin, it originated in the free will of Lucifer, in which we fully understand the issues involved. He chose to rebel against the Creator. Psalm 10 verse number 4 says, In the pride of his face, The wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Now that is a convicting passage of scripture. Maybe you're wondering why somebody that you love will not receive the gift of salvation. I want you to know, and I hate to be harsh on this, I'll be as hard as the word of God is and as truthful as the word of God is, but it says in the pride of his face that the wicked do not seek him. All their thoughts are, there is no God. You see, pride drives me to wrongly think there is no God. There is no God that is except me. But let's look at Galatians chapter 6. Paul says, now, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught up in a sin, you who are led by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves. Or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, Oh, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all things with their instructor. Now, here is an interesting passage, right? We're talking about pride, that it can drive us wrongly to think there is no God except me. 
But then Paul says that there is pride that we can have within ourselves, but it's not found in comparing ourselves with somebody else. It is found in comparing ourselves with Christ, carrying the load that he has called us to carry. When we look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, here's a question I want to ask you. Who is in danger in this passage? Now, according to the beginning of this passage, verse number one, the person who is in the most danger is not somebody who has been overtaken in a trespass. It's somebody whose sin has come to light and somebody who is going to confront that person who is overtaken in a trespass. You see, there's a transgression that is in the church and the people know about it. Who's in danger? Whom does Paul spend five verses warning about what happened to them or what can happen to them if this situation of restoration doesn't go well? The one who has fallen or the one who is about to help him stand? Every verse but one has a big yellow light flashing, caution, caution, caution. Uh, maybe you're going down the interstate right now and, and you're about to enter into the Hampton Roads Bridge Tunnel or you're about to enter into the Monitor Merrimack Tunnel and, and you see the lights flashing yellow. And uh, I always get nervous when I see that because I know it's about to turn red and traffic's going to stop, right? Caution, caution, caution. Slow down. We're going to have to stop here in just a moment. And so this message of warning is directed not to the one who has fallen, but to those who are aiming to help him. You see, pride or self-exaltation or self-reliance is one of the viruses that causes all moral diseases of the world. This has been the case ever since Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because they wanted to be like God instead of trusting God. Now, this is so important. I hope that nobody misses the significance of what Paul is trying to teach us in Galatians chapter 6. When we look at sin, there's only one basic moral issue here. How do I overcome this relentless urge of the human heart to assert itself against the authority of grace and God? Why else would Paul write to spiritual people to bear the burdens of others and then spend most of the paragraph warning the spiritual people against the danger of their own pride. I, I got to give you a confession. I've been talking a lot this week about pride. I preached on it Sunday a couple of times, and and uh, this whole week the, the broadcast has been on pride. And I want you to know, man, I have been under attack when it comes to this matter of pride. You know, as I look at this and, and, and I see what Paul is doing, Paul is describing uh, pastoral labors. And, and being involved in bringing about reconciliation and, and restoring somebody who has fallen. It always amazes me that, that many people can see the shortcomings of somebody else, but very few will actually confront them in that shortcoming. And most of us kind of want to go along to get along. And I, and I got to admit, as, as a pastor, I struggle with that. I, I just do not have to deal with it because I don't relish in confrontation. I don't wake up in the morning and say, wow, well, I wonder who I can tell off today. No, I, I avoid conflicts like the bluebonic plague, right? I don't like conflict, but I've realized that sometimes in our pride, we can avoid conflict, but sometimes in our pride, we can charge in where angels fear to tread. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians one twenty four that as we are telling people how to put their faith into practice, we want to work together with you so that you will be full of joy. For it is by your own faith that you will stand firm. So today we're talking about 
the poison of pride. Somebody said this, and I don't know who the author is. I, I would give them credit, but I couldn't find out who the author of this statement was. This person said, the wind of joy will blow most clean when you and I have felt and seen that sin keeps joy from being wide and every sin takes root in pride. The poison of pride. Pride is rebellion against God because it attributes to itself the honor and the glory that is due to God and God alone. A pride person doesn't think it, it is necessary to seek forgiveness because they don't admit their sinful condition. This attitude toward God finds its expressions in one's attitudes toward others, often causing people to have a low estimate of the ability and the worth of others and therefore to treat them with either contempt or cruelty. Pride is the root and the essence of all sin. When I think about all that the Bible has to say about pride, there's a lot of different words that the Bible uses to describe pride. Boasting, for example, can be committed only in the presence of other people, right? You're boasting in front of other people, that's a form of pride. 1 John 1 says this, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world, 1 John 2.16. Another word that the Bible uses is haughtiness or arrogance. And this is measuring self as I'm just a notch above others. Uh, The word refers to this attitude of one's heart. It's not necessarily that you are verbalizing this. It's just that you're carrying yourself like, I'm better than that person, right? Uh, We could say a prideful look, right? The word actually means to wrap it in smoke. It emphasizes the plight of the one who has been blinded by personal pride. Listen, if you're filled with haughtiness and arrogance, uh, you are wrapping yourself in smoke and you probably don't even see it in yourself. That's why sometimes... We as fellow believers have to confront one another. Pride comes in many forms, and and some of the more common types of pride might be a spiritual pride or the pride of my uh, riches. Jesus denotes this kind of pride. The parable of the Pharisees and the publicans was given to those who were guilty of spiritual pride. You see, they trusted in themselves, and they thought they were righteous, and they despised others. I remember they said, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I have. Now, here comes a warning, right? Whenever you're talking about what you've done, fasting twice a week, giving, you know, this is a form of pride. As a matter of fact, unfortunately, we're seeing a cultural shift on this matter of pride. Let me give you an example of that, okay? This is going back a little bit, but the day after Japan surrendered in 1945, and World War II ended. Uh, there was a singer by the name of Bing Crosby, and he appeared on a radio program that was entitled Command Performance. And this is what he said. Well, it looks like this is it. What can you say at a time like this? You can't throw your skimmer or your hat into the air. That's for a run-of-the-mill holiday. I guess all anybody can do is to thank God it's over. You know, we're really struck with that moment, right? No great celebration. We can't like throw our hats in the in the air. It's like we're just praising God. Thank God it's over. Now you do a contrast, right? I was really struck by the, the supreme moment and American triumph. We're not beating our chest, right? We're not super proud of ourselves. 
Uh, Instead, we're saying, thank God, it's over. Well, shortly after studying about what happened after World War II, uh, Brooks watched a professional football game, and he observed something very different. A quarterback threw a a short little pass to a wide receiver who was tackled almost immediately for a two-yard gain. The defensive player did what all professional athletes do these days in moments of personal accomplishment. He did a self-puffing victory dance as the camera lingered on him. It occurred to me that I had just watched more self-celebration after a two-yard gain than I had after the United States won World War II. Issy D. Mount Moody said this, I believe firmly that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and of selfishness and of ambition and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride and conceit and ambition in the world, there is no room for the Spirit of God. We must be emptied before we can be filled. So Galatians chapter 6, we learn there are three areas that pride can poison us, can affect us. Number one, when we are confronting sinful brothers or sisters in Christ. Now Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. Now, I know this is a difficult step, but we're called to restore him. The word here is the same word for mending nets, Matthew 4.21, or for a surgeon who is setting a dislocated bone. Restoration means becoming my brother's repairman. We are to get involved in helping the Christian back on his feet again, putting him back where he belongs. Now, there's a poison and not confronting him. And I think many times we fall into that category. Or we go to the pastor and we say, you know, you ought to confront this, right? No, Jesus is very clear. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens, you have gained a brother. So there's a point where we must say, I've got to take the responsibility to confront. Now, pride comes in because I think that we're fearful that if we confront somebody, uh, maybe we don't have the story exactly right, or if we confront somebody, uh, they may not receive it well, we may be embarrassed, they may reject us, and that really hurts our ego, right, to be rejected by somebody. The poison of not confronting is found in James chapter 5. James says, if somebody is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him. That's James 5.1. My brothers, we're going down to verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and somebody brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from the wandering of his ways will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. You see, sin is a breakdown in the machinery of our lives. It has to be repaired. If you find somebody with a breakdown, do you do what you need to do to restore that person? I mean, it's kind of like if your car breaks down. You got to take it to the shop and they got to fix it. It's not going to get better by itself. You can't say, well, I'm just going to park it in the the driveway for a while and kind of ignore it and hope it gets better. No, you got to take it to the repair shop. You don't say, it's not my business. I know you say, it's my car. I got to take care of it. It's your brother. You got to take care of it. You've got to lovingly confront him. So there's a poison that we can ingest by not confronting. But there's also a poison of wrongly confronting. That is too harshly with the wrong spirit, or when we're filled with anger. You see, Christians, we fall into sin. We cannot afford to use the guise of loving the sinner 
to completely ignore the directives of Scripture. Of course we must love the sinner, even when he is a fallen brother. But for our sake, and for the sake of the fallen brother, we cannot afford to dismiss his sin with a trivial remark about humanity. We must treat sin not as inconsequential, but sin as a direct affront against God. You remember Jesus confronted that woman of the well. Jesus didn't brush it aside. He didn't say, well, that's kind of the culture we're living in. Everybody does that. He says, neither do I condemn you. But then he quickly added, go and sin no more. You see, sin sometimes characterized in the Bible as leaven. It has a pervasive influence on others. It can be contagious. We are called to restore our fallen brother, not merely to excuse him, not rationalizing his sin, not justifying it, but confronting it, confronting it in a Christ-like manner. Now, it takes a whole lot of discipline to confront and to restore a brother. That's why, as we are doing this confrontation, we're doing it with a hope and a mindset of bringing that person back into a right relationship with God. We are told, in verse number one, that when we do this, we're to do it gently, we're to watch ourselves, yet you will also be tempted. You know, as I think about this, the poison of pride. As we are confronting somebody, we got to do it, right? Uh, don't say we don't have to do it, but we've got to do it. We don't just fester and let it go, you know, think about it. We, we actually pray about it. And when the time's right, we make that confrontation. You know, there's a woman I met many years ago, and, and this particular woman had a list, and she maintained a list of all the pastors that she had heard about who had fallen morally. And I said, why in the world would you do that? I'm thinking maybe she is doing this to pray for them. And she said, no, no, I don't do it. To, she says, I do it to remind myself just how hypocritical some people can be who call themselves Christians. And I said, that is kind of different. And the sad part about this is that this woman was married to a man who was involved in, in molesting children. Heartbreaking. And, and I got thinking about this, and I got thinking about this, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. You see, the poison of pride can affect us when we are confronting our brother, so we do it humbly, right? And love keeps no records of wrong. We don't constantly remember the wrong that they've done. That's why we confront it, and we pray that they will repent and turn from their ways so that we can celebrate with that brother in Christ, remembering their sin no more, or living as if the offense never took place. You know, in Hebrews 10.24, we're told to stir up one another with love and good works. So we are confronting people to encourage them with love, to encourage them to grow in a servanthood relationship. You see, the poison of pride can affect us when confronting a brother. The poison of pride can also affect us when we're helping not only a, a brother who has sinned, but also a brother who is burdened. Going back to Galatians chapter 6, verse number 2, this is the poison of not caring. Verses 2 to 4 says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. 
If it does seem easy for you to bear the burdens of sickness and unemployment or the loss of a loved one or or loneliness or rejection, but too hard for you to bear the burden of confronting a person in sin, I want you to meditate on this thought. A sinful attitude or a sinful habit is much more harmful to a person than any of those burdens. So therefore, we've got to be ready to confront people when they fall in sin. We will confront them with their sin as well as comfort them in their trouble. Now, wouldn't it be great to belong to a family of believers who loved each other so much that they could simply not look the other way when a brother or sister hardens their heart? You know, let's be that family. Let's be that family that can fulfill the law of Christ. Be very careful in this poison of not caring. Care for your brothers and sisters in Christ, but there's another poison that we must be careful of, and that is the poison of enabling. Now, Galatians chapter two, uh, chapter six, rather, there seems to be a conflict in what Paul is saying. On one hand, he says we're to carry each other's burdens, but then when we get down to uh, verse number four, or verse number five, rather, it says for each of us should carry his own burden or his own load. Now, which one is it, Paul? Paul is driving home the point. There are some things that you cannot carry on your own. That's for you to to bear each other's burdens. But there are some things that you must carry on your own. Each one should carry his own load. When I'm taking a load off somebody that they need to take responsibility for themselves, I am enabling them. That is the poison of enabling. Paul says in Ephesians 5.11 to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead to expose them. He says, since you all struggle with pride, therefore make every effort to humble yourselves when you point out somebody somebody's sin. So verse number five is not a contradiction of verse number two. Each man will have to carry his own load. It is given a ground for verse number four. I think it means don't ever try to lighten the load of your own sin by comparing yourself to a falling brother or sister. Now, I think this is so important because I think we have kind of fallen into this, right? Uh, Because you're going to bear your own load in judgment. When the final assessment comes and we are all measured by the law of Christ, no one will make your load lighter by being worse than you are. You will bear your own load on that day. The plea we hear so often, but I was... I was as good as George, or I was as good as Susie, or I wasn't as bad as Susie, will fall on deaf ears at judgment. Don't bolster your pride by comparing yourself with others. You will bear your own load. Well, we've learned a lot so far from Galatians chapter 6. We've learned that the poison of pride can affect us in confronting a brother. It can affect us when we're trying to help a burdened brother. And number three, it can affect us when sharing or instructing a brother. Verse number six, Galatians chapter six, Paul says, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. So here's the poison that we must be aware of. That is the poison of not receiving. James kind of put it this way. He says, anyone who receives instruction of the word isn't one who just listens to the word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. So this simply means that you should be led by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, bearing fruit of the Spirit. It is not a reference to the 
upper echelon of Christians, but it's talking about to the normal, spirit-filled Christian, the one who is living an ordinary life day in, day out as a follower of Christ. Their life is producing love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and, and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness. These are the link that we have. So the poison of not receiving. There's also the poison of disrespecting. It says that we must share all good things with his instructor. Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do so. I want you to know that God has called us to overcome the poison of sin through pride. Somebody said this about a man who fell into a pit. A subjective person came along and said, I feel for you down there. An objective person walked by and said, It's logical that somebody would fall into that pit. A Pharisee said, Well, only bad people fall into pits. A mathematician calculated how deep the pit was. A news reporter wanted the exclusive story on the pit. An IRS agent asked if he was paying taxes on that pit. A self-pitying person said, You haven't seen anything until you've seen my pits. A fire and brimstone preacher said, You deserve your pit. A Christian scientist observed, The pit is just in your mind. A psychologist noticed, Your mother and your father are to blame for being in a pit like that. A self-esteem therapist said, Believe in yourself and you can get out of that pit. An optimist said, Things could get worse. A pessimist claimed, Things couldn't be worse. But Jesus seeing the man took him by the hand, and lifted him out of that pit. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.